PGA Nation. We are back. So first of all, sorry for the delay. We're a little late tonight. We're on 10 minutes late. Apologies. Thank you all for joining Brent in the chat already. We appreciate you. Big draft tonight. There's only going to be three of us. Me, Spence, and you, the audience. It's going to be a smaller draft. It's going to be quicker. Brent, you're going to be the team lead here. You're the first one in the chat. You're usually a pretty good leader. So I'm going to give you the lead on the draft picks um, to get your guys' picks in. You're going to be picking third. Your order's going to go me, Spence, audience third on the wheel for tonight's draft. The Bermuda Championship for me is an exciting one because I've played this course a few times. Um, when I played the course, my feedback was, there's no way there can be a professional tournament here. It's short. I understand they make it longer for the pros, but like I was getting home like way too easily in some of these holes. So uh, it's an easy course it, for, for pros. I mean, I didn't shoot well, but I'm not a pro. Um, but it's a fun course. And so it's a fun one, I think, certainly for us to bet on, especially with this unique field. There's a few names that we know. We talked about a lot. Um, there's a lot of like no names. There's a lot of guys to sift through. Pricing, I actually think, is pretty interesting. So I'm excited for this week, even though it's not the typical field you'd be looking for. How about you, Spence? I think this is a fun tournament. Like, obviously, we'll talk about it when I get to the course. And I would like you to break down some of the course also from what you experienced because you can add that layer to it. But I think you have half of the equation here that is going to be really straightforward. I think the other half is a little bit more difficult to maneuver through just because we don't have stat tracker present that always makes it a little bit more difficult for me to pull numbers from within my model but I like this tournament like you said like to me this is a much better event like I prefer this every single day of the week versus the 70 man field no cut all the star players here I think you can actually find some value down this board on some of these players so I think we can make a good show out of this, Joel. Um, as you said, thank you to everybody in the audience that's going to be drafting along with us tonight. And uh, let's get this started. Yeah, a lot of people, you can tell um, Dave is not with us. He is not with us tonight. It's going to be it's a smaller show. But we thought that was appropriate for this field. So I think it was fitting for the tournament. Um, and I'll add, I would actually argue, for those of you listening to the show, watching podcasts, doing the legwork, there's probably a bigger edge for tournaments like this, if you actually do the real legwork than there is in like the major tournaments where all the big names are for the reasons that with those big tournaments, there's just a whole lot of very good golfers. There's probably more variance based on the fact that all those guys are talented enough to go really lower to attack those courses. You know, when you think about it, the, the, the problem with this course is, is more, the more, I should say this, the problem with this tournament is more the course in that, you know, you need Rory or Ron to go attack some of these more challenging courses because of their distance and what they're capable of doing on a golf course. With this course, these are all good golfers. So it's going to come down to a lot of a little luck variance with putting and stuff like that, because these all guys are all going to be able to strike the ball pretty well. And what is realistically more closer to, I will say, your your the golf courses we play versus a PGA tournament down a level course. But it's still a fun course, and we have our work cut out for us this week. So, um, Spence, before we dive into the draft tonight, hit me with your course breakdown. What are you looking for at Port Royal this week? So it ranks as the second shortest venue on the PGA Tour behind only Pebble Beach. It's positioned on the Atlantic Ocean coastline. It's going to experience a lot of that volatility that you might expect because of the weather. I thought one of the most interesting quirks about the venue is that while it plays straightforward with this 6,828-yard measurement, 
The layout of the land did provide a very unique experience when you look at the distribution of the yardage. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too into this because this is kind of that in-depth information that will make this show go on for an hour. And, and I think we want to get into this draft. But the one thing I want to say about this venue is you have this hidden distance that's baked into three of the four par threes that range between 213 to 235 yards. That group will rank as your three most challenging stops daily because of their 26.3 to 30.8% bogey or worse rate. The dispersion of historical finishes for top 10 producers over the past four seasons has kind of given us this really interesting answer to where if you want the high-end success, you score on the par three holes or at least salvage your score there. If you want to make the cut, you do more of that work on the par fives and the par fours. So par fives are really easy, probably to your point, Joel. Like if you look at the long-term history, a lot of the DraftKings points will come during these par five scoring positions. So you know, I think that for me, it was about a 50-50 split of taking some of that really easy to decipher information. So that would be like the basic information that we know without stats. It's on a Bermuda course. You have soft, slow greens. There's going to be wind in the forecast. All of those variables are, are, are 50% of my model. And then I have another 50% of my model, which is more of my, I guess, blueprint of how I thought this venue was going to play from from partially an historical perspective with it, but also from just some of these numbers that I'm trying to pull there. So that's obviously going to take weighted proximity and total driving and the length of these holes and try to condense everything down into one little bit of range there. So I think it's a unique venue um, for all those reasons. I don't know if it's necessarily what everybody expects it to be just because you do have baked in values in certain spots like the par fours. They're all really short. They're all sub 460 yards. The par fives are all extremely gettable with the way that you want to go about that. But I put a little bit of an extra emphasis on par three scoring. That's kind of where I'm trying to find my upside climbers. And I'm hoping that's where I can get different when I do make my DFS construction this week. That makes sense. And the, the one piece I'll add to that is um, it is also very hilly. You'll find some holes that might be very short, but it's just straight uphill. So the hills, I guess, could add some distance and, and make it a little unique. But um it's different. It's, it's not like your typical course. So we'll see how that plays out. But let's get into this draft. It's a three-man draft, so this should go pretty quickly here. Audience, as usual, you'll be going third. Um, I got the first pick. Spence, you're going second. I did want the first pick, so, I, you know, we talked about a trade here. Um, that is to be debated a conditional future first. But uh, for tonight's purposes, to me, it's simple. There is a best player in this field by, by a good margin in terms of just talent. Um, and his talent to me is way greater over the field than his price is. And so therefore, I'm going to take Adam Scott with my first pick. And, you know, the biggest thing for me with Adam Scott, there was a while here, maybe the COVID year 2021, where I stopped playing Adam Scott. He wasn't very good. He, was, he maybe would pop one week and then he was kind of missing cuts. He wasn't playing great. Adam Scott's been playing a lot better. The, the last six to months to a year, we're seeing a much improved Adam Scott, a much better form out of him. In the form I've seen from Adam Scott more recently, um, in this field, I think he's head and shoulders above the field. So I'll happily eat the, the price here and, uh, and start with the most talented guy on the roster. Yeah, I mean, I thought the most interesting thing about Adam Scott, at least from what I've seen right now from an ownership perspective, is – He's very similar to all those guys, $9,000 plus. He is number one in my model this week. 
think it makes a lot of sense for all the reasons that you just mentioned, Joel. Like he's inside the top five for me when I look at the recent uh, performance expectation inside of my sheet. Um, I don't know if you can necessarily go wrong with most of these names. And I think that's what makes it unique. And it's like the one thing that DraftKings consistently continues to get correct in most of these spots to where I think for the most part, 90 to 95% of these, you know, $9,000 plus golfers are more or less in the correct position. But that's where all of this comes down to what is the ownership actually looking like? Where can we get unique in spots? And as of right now, Adam Scott actually looks more contrarian than not at about the 15, 16% that I see. So I think it's a savvy pick. I, I could make an argument about a bunch of players in this range, but um, I don't think anybody's going to necessarily fight you over Adam Scott being the 101 off the board here. I, I appreciate that. And before we go to your pick, I want to say, see us in the chat. Welcome to the chat, Sia. We can't wait to get you back in the draft, but... It wouldn't be appropriate to bring Sia back on the Butterfield Bermuda. Sia, we love you, but this isn't the tournament to bring Sia back on. Sia's coming back, but we got we got bigger plans for Sia's return. So, Sia, thanks for stopping in. Uh, looking forward to the big return before January. Let us know who you like. Drop your, some of your picks. Draft with the audience as you usually do. All right, Spence, with your pick, who are you taking here? So I'm going to go a little bit different here with at least how I'm going to start this um, – a lot of this comes down to the answer that I just talked about of me believing there's a lot of players here, $9,000 plus, that makes sense. I'm going to try to find this value in some of these other sections. I'm going to start with Brandon Wu. I think this is a really interesting case study here between how has somebody been performing, at least with the lack of top 30s that we're talking about, and how is my model viewing them for this course? So Talked about it. He has not posted a top 30 during his last nine starts. He has made his last six cuts, which I think kind of shows that upside that he's been, or I guess safety that he's been presenting recently. Although the upside is what I am most intrigued about at this venue, just with the way that he fits this course. We've seen that with back-to-back -back top 35 finishes at this venue during the two times that he's played it. 12th in my model and expected strokes gain total for this course. He's inside the top five when you get these slow green complexes. Very similar answer there when you talk about these shorter courses. So I'm going to bet on this upside. I understand that that's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And this is a very early pick for Brandon Wu here uh, for the lack of upside that we've seen. But I, I think he's one of the sharper players in the market. And it makes my lineup very easy when I start with him to be able to maneuver through from that route. Listen, I, I love the start uh, with value and not always going to the top, especially in a tournament like this. Uh, where, you know, it feels like the top plates are probably more obvious because they stand out a little bit more. Um, and I think all the points you made, Brandon Wood does stand out. I mean, he's definitely on an upswing, um, and you want to ride that upswing, especially in a weaker tournament, in a weaker field. This feels like a spot where where he can rise to the top. So I endorse and second that pick for sure. Audience, great job. Honestly, you guys, you know, I'm under the weather, not feeling great running the show. You guys get in your picks in quick. I don't even have to press you. Honestly, you guys are the real MVP. Appreciate your efforts. Uh, first pick's in. It's Pendrith. It's a good pick. That is a that is a very good pick. I had him marked as a guy that I'm, I'm looking to play this week, mainly for the reason – both picks. You got Pendrith and Smalley. Um, and mainly for the reason that these are guys that we're playing in these bigger fields, right? And these are they're typically more value plays in bigger fields for us. But in this tournament, they are one price appropriately because, you know, they are the better players in the field. And they're playing well enough to do some damage. So 
those are both guys that have my Raiders on my radar this week. I like both picks. How about you, Spence? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the audience did probably what they exactly should have done in this spot. Like, we, we can make an argument of who the player should be, but my ultimate goal with taking Brandon Wu first was to get one of Pendrith or Smalley coming back. So it has changed the route that I am going to have to go now, and I'm, and I'm fine with that. I think there's enough value, but make an argument, first of all, that Smalley is probably a $10,000 golfer, give or take, in this field, and you get him in the $8,000 range, you really have to like that. And uh, Pendrith has turned around his game here recently, so I think they got two high upside, high equity options at prices where, you know, if you told me they were $10,100, I really wouldn't have blinked an eye there. So I think there's nice value on both of those picks. There you have it. Um, all right, Spence, you got a second pick here. You got plenty of money to spend with a good value pick on your first one. Who are you looking at? So I am going to continue with this value answer here. Um, figure out everything after that. I am going to go with Troy Merritt at 7,800. Merritt was the most significant value difference in my sheet. If you look at any of these golfers ranked inside the top 20, when we're talking about potential win equity for this tournament. He's made his past five cuts, delivered two top 10 showings at the Fortinet and Sanderson to begin the fall season. You get this ninth place grade for weighted ball striking. That's going to merge really well with the fourth place rank for expected strokes gain total at the venue. I don't think it necessarily comes without risk. Um, you know, one of the things I talked about is needing to score on these par fives if you want to make the cut. This par five scoring has some problems. That's going to give you more of that boomer bust potential than maybe I would care to see in the spot being my second player off the board, but I think the upside matters here for a golfer that I currently see at about 8% ownership. That's putting him as the 27th uh, highest owned player on the board. I think it's just a really good spot to get different with these first two picks that I made. And then it kind of will like the board will play itself out for me. And it already has with Joel, you taking Adam Scott and the audience taking Taylor Pendrith and Alex Smalley, like, Without having that fourth team in there, I still think there's enough players up top that one of those names or two of those names will fall to me. So I'm kind of just, as I said, trying to find this value in other sections right now. I, I like it. I, I like the way you're going. Um, I wonder, we'll see, you don't tell me now, we'll see how it plays out. I wonder if you have a plan or someone you're targeting up top for later that you're anticipating will, will last to you. So we'll see how this strategy, where this strategy goes. Um I'm going to make an interesting make. To me, in my mind, it's controversial. Um, I know most people who are, we'll call touts, will hate this pick. But listen, history is history. I'm a course history guy. And I believe in the fact that this guy will might miss every cut for the rest of the year. But at the Bermuda Championship, he's going to get you a top 20. He does it every time. It's unbelievable. And that is Marvin Gaye or Brian Gaye. But Marvin Gaye sounds more fun. So we're going to Marvin Gaye. Uh, Brian Gaye, listen, this guy just shows up for this tournament every year. Um, he's missed, what, like six cuts in a row. He doesn't really have any good – His literally his last good finish was this tournament last year. And then you look back again, his last good finish before that was this tournament again. The best he's done outside of this tournament is like four years. He is just not that good. But he likes this course, and it's just every year. So, you know, it's one thing if he popped once or twice to this course and that's it. But it's every time he plays it. So if you actually look, in 2023, he was 11. In 2022, he was 12. He won it in 2021. He was third in 2020. I'm just going to go off the history and say he's going to show up and give you another good top 20 result. 
He has the best history, the best success on the scores. I think we see it again this week. He is a really good putter. I think he's going to putt really well this week. The ball strike is not – you don't need to be a supreme ball striker to find success here. So um, I actually – I like – he's one of my favorite plays. I think he's, he's really good. I actually think, in my opinion, at 6,700, his ownership should be higher. 8% for Brian Gay is already insane. But considering – at 6,700, there's really no one else down there that I want to play. So I actually think it should have been higher. So I'm happy to eat that percentage. Uh, Spence, I'm nervous. What's your take on Brian Day this week? I'm going to pass. Uh, these are kind of the the historical spots where I try to fight, uh, fade players where I agree. I mean, I see between 8 to 10% ownership right now. To me, that's high for a golfer. That's 6,700. Of course, history is phenomenal. I understand that. I don't know if this is the biggest indicator of a course from predictability. I also don't have all the data that I would like to see from year to year on it. I know that right now the current form looks terrible. So I am going to, I mean, it's like you can make the argument both ways here of like where sometimes you close your eyes and you end up just playing a player and you hope for the best. Like I'm going to close my eyes here and just trust what my data is telling me. Like he doesn't grade even that well for this venue. I know that the results here have been fantastic, but I, I don't know, Joel. It's I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on the outside on this one. I hope you are correct for your team there, but um, he is not gonna be for me. Now, in my defense, his form has been terrible every year going into this tournament. He's That's just true. terrible. He's just yeah. not good, but he somehow finds a way to have success on this course. So I'm banking on that. And and you know, at some point, and I went with him early because I wanted to get him on my team. But at some point, when building roster this week you're probably going to need to take a, a shot on somebody, right? It's, it's going to be hard to have like a six man that you're like all super confident, unless you maybe go medium, but like, this is the way this field is. It's, it's a weak field. So I'm taking my shot. That's who I'm taking it on. Um, I like them. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out with my second pick. I'm going to go with a guy who's been popular. Another one, it's chalky. I think the ownership is a little too high for him, but he's a guy who's been very popular on our show. He's a value play. We've been taking at 7,600. What would Justin lower? Um, Justin Lowe is playing good golf. I think this is a spot where he can show up uh, and have a really good result. At 7,600, I think he's a really good value at getting in that 7K range with guys who have upside. So being that I took Adam Scott first, I think I'm finding a nice way to round out my squad here. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of players in that $7,000 range. Like, I mean, we can even like go throughout the entire range there. There's a lot of value to be in this section. And I think that's what's going to differentiate a lot of these builds because not every single player is going to produce from that mix. But, you know, I had about 10, 15, 20 players that all showed as a value on the surface from where their price tag was compared to what my model thought. So um, that is kind of a more robust $7,000 range than I typically get when we come on the show. There you have it. I love it. So with that being said, are you sticking in that 7K range with your next pick? Or are you going elsewhere? I mean, I don't think I necessarily have to take this guy right now. And this might just be the, I don't want to say addiction coming into play. Like, I, I wish this would have been Alex Smalley. This would have been a much preferred route to go just because I could keep the salary at that level. But I'm going to go with Thomas Dietrich, 10,500. I don't think there's a tournament that Dietrich's in that he doesn't end up making one of my builds. Uh, making a lot of cuts recently, two top 22 finishes at this course. Uh, we talk about ownership being slightly reduced in this section. Like, obviously, we have a lot of players that are all around the same range, but my model currently has Dietrich outside of the top 10 in projected ownership. 
that's going to be lower than the likes of Adam Scott, Brendan Todd, uh, Akshay, like really the only person or the only two people that would be lower owned than him from $9,000 and up would be Luke List and Lucas Herbert. So I'm going to take that contrarian approach with Dietrich, kind of lock it up. I think I have three plays here that are a little bit outside of the norm of where most people are going to go. And that's kind of for an event like this, where I'm going to swing for the fence on some of these players that are top 10 uh, returns inside of my model that are outside of the top 10 for projected ownership. There you go. I mean, listen, certainly, like we were saying, he's certainly one of the better talents in this field in terms of, you know, profile and golfer. You're paying for him, but I think he has as much upside as anybody. So, um, you know, going with your value first, getting him with your third pick, I like that landing spot for you. Um, audience, you're back on the clock. I'm trying to check the chat. Have we gotten nominations in? It looks like we have some nominations. Oh, it looks like they're going with Dylan Wu. All right, so Dylan Wu looks to be the first pick here. And the second one, no, Brent, you just said the same guy twice. Oh, no, there he is. It's Schmidt. So it's Wu and Schmidt here with the next two. We'll start with you, Spence. Uh, are you on either of those two picks? I like the Dylan Wu pick. Um, I like the Matty Schmidt pick also. But the one thing I will say about Dylan Wu, um, just to keep in mind here. So if the winds pick up like they always do when you put it near water, he's 93rd in my model in strokes gain total in extreme to above average wind conditions. That is something that I found on the wrong side of the equation at the Zozo Championship. I ended up taking Dylan Wu over Brandon Wu in a head-to-head matchup. It got really windy that night, and Dylan Wu blew off the course. I'm a little bit afraid that over four days that that might end up being what ends up taking place, but top 20 of my model don't necessarily have a problem with that uh, on the surface level of it. And then Matty Schmid seems to be trending in the right direction here recently. He's a negative value in my model, but when you look at some of these more safer like safety ratings, you can see why he's been performing with back-to-back top 40 finishes there. So I don't expect the ownership to be very high on him. When we look at Dylan Wu, I mean, it's going to probably be about the same. Like you're looking at 8 to 12% ownership. So, um, you know, I think it's a strong start that the audience has, has done to begin this build here. Boom. Audience, great job with the pick. Strong roster already. Uh, one thing I'm noticing, and I, I might be hurting myself by saying this, but I'm just going to bring it up. We all seem to be in the relatively same price range with our remaining picks. So this end of this draft should be pretty competitive. Spence, you're up first here with your fourth pick. Who are you looking at? I probably should be trying to round out a build in this direction. I, mean, I think there's, I think there's one of two ways, obviously, all of us can consider playing it. You either go the route where you land in this $8,000 give or take section, or you go more expensive and try to build out a lineup that way and maybe get a little bit cheaper down beneath. Um, I don't think I've ever done this before for two players that I seem to take every single week. Um, I will take Alex Noren. I think the Dietrich Noren combination together might be where this actually pays dividends for me. Played Alex Noren quite a bit. Um, it usually doesn't end well. I understand that, but the form has turned around over the last couple months. Like he was really bad to begin this season. If you just look at the last few months, tons of made cuts that he's produced. He has multiple top 25 finishes at the open, the three M the Shriners. Like he 
was in contention during that tournament. So um, I think anytime you throw him on Bermuda, and it's a very similar answer that I would give to a Ben Griffin sort of a golfer, a Thomas Dietry name would be the third. Those are three players that on Bermuda, they see massive shifts in upside for me. So I know it doesn't necessarily hasn't paid dividends yet by taking Alex Noren, but um, it's a good course setup for him at a track where it's like one thing where he's missing all these cuts in some of these better fields. And I know he's a little bit cheaper in those spots, but I actually think the upside is here. And I'm hoping at least, I mean, we'll see if this is what ends up coming to fruition here. I see him at 16% ownership right now which I think is kind of a fair number for him. But I kind of feel like people always have that problem of actually clicking the button when push comes to shove, just because they know what Alex Norton has done in the past. So I hope that number drops by a couple percent before they do tee off on Thursday. I think you make a really good point. Uh, Here's my thing with Norton. I think in other tournaments, that's what happens 100%. I think here it's going to be high for this reason. For a lot of people in this type of field, Norton is the name. Right, like there's only there's only like five to six guys that guys really are like I know that's the guy that's the best golfer. So in this field, he is that guy, and and you know in other fields, you know he just kind of fits in. He's more of a value play, Um, but I that doesn't mean I don't like him because you're right, he's playing better, and this does feel like a spot in a kind of lower tier competition where he could rise. So I actually think Norin's a good pick. There Um, were there were two players for me at least near the top of this board that saw the highest increase in expected win percentage. And and really that answer stems from when you remove some of the par five scoring, um, that, as I said, is more of like that cup maker mentality. My goal or my hope here is that these holes are so simple that even a guy like Alex Noren can find success there. And then all of a sudden he uses his advantages in other areas to skyrocket himself up the leaderboard. It's a very similar answer to what the audience would have done with Alex Smalley. Like those were the two big movers for me for looking from win equity. So um, I'm hoping that's the case with Norm because that's always what seems to burn me at the end of the day. But yeah, I mean, as, as Zach said, I mean, this is when you get into these gross tournaments, it's almost one of those things. It's like, Oh, these are my favorite plays or these are the players that I'm historically on. So if I'm liking them in better fields and now you throw them into a tournament where I don't know, I mean, there's 10 players that are, you know, top whatever golfers. And then all of a sudden the board just falls apart on itself. It's going to be a lot of those same names that I'm going to find myself on. Yeah, I agree. I think that that totally makes sense. Um, Austin, I am smitten. I am pleased by the way this fell. I didn't think this guy would fall to me. He did. Um, It wasn't how I planned to make this draft go, but I am stoked to be able to take Akshay Bhatia at this point in the draft. Um, Another one of those, this is the type of tournament where there are a number of guys that are just more talented than the rest of the field. And so wider range in the typical PGA tournament where all the big names are in it. And this is one of them. You know, Batia has been playing well. His form has been really good. We know he's a big-time prospect. There's big-time expectations behind them. But more recently, I mean, his most recent finishes, he got top, top 10 last week at the Worldwide Technology Championship. He's tied for 21 at the Zozo. He's top 40 at the Shriners. Um this is in this field. He's a top 10 talent for sure. Probably top five. Uh, I'm happy to pay up and pay this price. As long as I don't have to, I already took gay. So I have enough you know, money to be able to make this work. So I'm going to have to dip down and kind of take too many more shots on this lineup. I'm happy to go there and, and uh, go kind of the more stars and scrubs approach. So 
Love that Batia fell to me. Now, I do have to dip a little bit here to make this work, but this is a guy I was going to take either way with my second pick, and it's going to be Russell Knox. Um, you know, this seems to me like a really good course. Russell Knox is one of those guys that probably looks better in our models than he actually performs more often than not. You know, he ball, strikes the ball really well. He's going to do well on the distance you're looking for. He doesn't really typically perform and actually get there. In this weaker field at 7,300, this feels like a week, a week he could shine. He also does have a decent course history here where he's, he's had some good results. So he does like this course. Um, I think the combination of the stats look good, the course history is good, the price is right. Um, I think this is a good spot for Knox, at least to be a safe result. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reasons to like him. Obviously, you have a Scottish golfer where in a windy condition. Um, I think there's a reason why he's found success here. And the distance or the lack of distance that he brings will always be the problem. I think you put him on a shorter course where he's a great ball striker. He's one of the better proximity players in the world. Like this is where the course history, like if, if you're comparing him directly with the Brian Gay, and I know there's a bit of a price difference here, but if you're directly comparing those two golfers against one another, I think Knox is kind of like the epitome of good chalk where Gay would be bad chalk for me here. But I think Knox is a, is a great play. I love it. Now I'm pumped. I'm, I'm all excited. I love the look of my team. So you guys got your work cut out to be able to catch up to me. Spence, you got 7K per pick left. Who you targeting? Well, this would have been nice if I correctly would have budgeted this for the finish. Um, I kind of talked about there being not that many players in the $6,000 section that I want to find exposure to. Like, it, it would be names like Sung You'll Know. That's a I mean, that's a golfer I took number one overall one time in this draft. So it's not really a surprise that in the fifth round, I'm considering taking him in this sort of a tournament. I think if you look at him, um, a David Lingmurth, I think all of those names make logical sense. Um, I am going to go with, and I want to make sure that I actually have salary remaining to finish this off. Um Nope, can't can't afford Andrew Novak going that way. That's a name I at least mm -hmm. want to talk about. Um, all right, I will go with David Lingmurth at 6,800. I don't necessarily feel great about it, but um, he's been good here historically. I'll I'll hope that that continues. We'll play this course history game for a second. Listen. I Lingworth was a guy, and it was earlier in the year, maybe in last spring, where he was playing really well, and his ball striking was there, and he was a guy I was looking to play. The form has fallen off more recently. Um, I haven't really wanted, been wanting to play him as much, but again, you look at a guy who is who's capable, who can have one of those spike weeks with the ball striking um, in a weaker field when the price is right under seven k. Uh, that's what you're doing here. We're, we're playing GPPs. We're, we're, we're shooting for upside. I think he is one of those guys. So I can endorse that pick. Um, all right, audience, you got two left to round out the squad. It looks like we got some nominations. Hard to tell where the first one is to see if we have a pick. Um, it looks like the first pick is Kazire. Yeah, I'm going to say the first pick is in with Kazire. And the second pick is going to be Beyonce. So you got Kazire and Beyonce. Who's playing Jay-Z and Beyonce? They don't even play golf. 
Come on. <laughs> we do need one more. Kazire's in while we wait for the second pick, Spence. Are you playing Kazire at all this week? My model really liked him. Uh, he was inside the top 20 of both an overall rank standpoint and from an upside answer. So I think, it, and obviously I've talked a lot about this $7,000 range. I think, and I can't afford any of these, and I think it's good to just mention some players. Like guys like that are not taken yet. Guys like Adam Long, Harry Hall, um, Martin Laird, Patton Kazire, David Lipsky. I think Andrew Novak. I think all of those players make logical sense. Um, Risky uh, move. I, I am absolutely planning on taking one of the guys that you just said with my last pick. So I hope you didn't give anything away. Well, I, well. I, <laughs> we'll see what the audience does here. I mean, I, well, hopefully it's, I might've, I might've ruined myself a little bit here too. Uh, we, we might have a gate on our hands. It looks like to me, if we're counting Sia here, I think Griffin's the pick. Can they afford Griffin? Uh, I think so. No. Oh, they can't. What is Griffin? 93. You can't. So that's out. Um, and then Smotherman. Yeah, it's Smotherman. Smotherman. They can afford him. Okay. Listen, and I I will say, it is totally fine in this field to leave somebody in the table. This is not the type of tournament where you feel like you need to spend all your dollars. Like, there is totally a scenario that can play out where you can leave plenty of money on the table and and win this tournament. So, I don't think that's an issue at all. Um, However, I was not planning on playing some other men. So, it wasn't a guy I was going to pick, but I'm totally okay with the strategy of leaving some dollars on the table. How about you, Spence? It's a wild wild move. I was going to take Austin Smotherman. I, I wow. don't understand what just happened right now. <laughs> that's actually, man, that's exactly how much money I've left to. That's amazing. You know what that is? That's defensive drafting. That's the audience just doing a great job, seeing how much money you had left and taking your guy away so that they could be, they knew it's a three-man draft. They just had to beat you and they took your guy. So audience, good job. Great job tonight. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I no longer want David Lingmurth as my pick. I wanted Lingmurth and Smotherman together. Like that was the whole reason for the Lingmurth pick. I'd rather have Sung Yul know. And I mean, I guess if I'm forced into this situation right now, I guess I'll take Camilo Vajegas. Okay. I, 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 will, mean, I will say it was definitely more likely that Lingmurth got back to you than Smotherman. I, I don't understand how... I mean, I, I guess based – yes, maybe, but I, I'm still shocked. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, listen, obviously you, your hand was was, held, was twisted there. You had to, to pivot. Uh, but I think – I mean, Viegas is a guy that – you know, he's a dart throw, but uh, but he's certainly one that, that has upside. I mean, we've seen him you know, show up in spots. Um, I like Viegas more in showdown probably than for four days. I think he definitely has the ability to pop, but – I think he's someone, if you're looking down there in that range, you could take a shot on. So um, I'm okay with that with that pick there as well. Yeah, he's been decent out here also. I mean, nothing to write home about, but three made cuts during the last three tournaments, all landing between 34th to 55th place. Maybe he found something last week with that second place finish and can roll that into a better result. But um, yeah, not exactly how I was anticipating this rounding out. Yeah, right. The hot streak in, I think... Uh... I think he got something there. So um, 
I'm going to round this out with, like I said, I promise there was a guy you mentioned in your rattling off of players that I was planning to take, and he did last to me, so I am pleased. Uh, and I'm going to take Adam Long. I, I'm surprised Adam Long didn't get dra- or lasted to the last pick. You know, for this field at 7,600, Adam Long's just playing well. He has three top 40 finishes in a row since October, which is recently. Um, one of the things I like to do is I look at the actual round scores. He's got a lot of scores in the 60s, which just means he's playing consistently good golf, which is the type of thing I'm looking for. At 7,600, he has the upside to kind of get on a run and compete in this tournament. So I'm pleased with how I was able to round out this, this lineup with Long on my last pick. We're not done yet. We're going to give you our first round leaders as always. But do us a favor. Hit the like button. Give us a follow. It goes a long way. We will be tracking the lineups and who wins. Let us know which lineup you think is going to win, who's going to come away with the championship. And we will crown a winner next show. They will get the first pick. And they will get the bragging rights as they always do. As I bring the draft board down, we, as I said, we do have some first-round leaders to share with you today before we get you out of here. Um, Spence, I'll start with you. Do you have you picked out any first-round leaders for this tournament? Yeah, uh, I have three currently right now. Um, I have Troy Merritt, 70-1, to 1, Doug Gim, 50-1, to 1, Andrew Novak, 80-1. to 1. Boom. There you have it. Um, you know, my first round leader card, I'll be honest with you. I had my team drafted before the show started. Only one of my guys got taken. So I got most of the team that I wanted. And then I just, the pivot really in one spot. And because of that, a lot of my team is also in my first round leader market. So you're going to see some overlap in those picks, starting with Adam Long at 75 to one. That's a big number. Um, I'll take the 75. I think this is a good spot to take a long shot as these guys are probably closer in talent than the average tournament. Um, I am also going to take Sam Bennett at 71. Listen, we've seen him pop in some first rounds. He was a flash in the pan a little bit last year, but at 70 to one in a field like this, I'll take another shot on him. Maybe he makes a few putts early. And my last first round leader play um, is going to be Mark Hubbard at 40 to one. Uh, um, I wanted to make sure he was mentioned on the show. Mark Hubbard's playing well. He was one I was, I was going to possibly draft as well. Ball striking really well. I think he can certainly pop on a day one at good, a good odds at 40 to one. That's a wrap for the show tonight. Uh, Spence, any parting words for betting or for this field or tournament? I mean, very quickly before we get out of here, is there somebody that you are surprised did not get picked? That's a good question. Um, I th- I would actually say the biggest surprise for me is Mark. I say there's, there's three. Uh, Mark Hubbard is probably the biggest. Um, I liked him. I, someone was talking on my radar. I thought someone would have taken Lucas Hubbard, Herbert because he won here. Um, he's more of a popular name. Um, he, I'm surprised he got passed over. And Brendan Todd, another guy who's a big name, you know, a talent that kind of got overlooked. He might be a little bit overpriced, but I think he can certainly compete in this field. How about yourself? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, when we just look at pure ownership, Brendan Todd right now is second owned player. I, I guess there's only so many names that can be taken at the top. I, I am surprised that Todd was not one of them, but um, with the way that everybody constructed their routes, I kind of ended up bypassing them in a lot of ways. I guess for me, I would say Ben Griffin. Um, ben Griffin is the only person in my model that graded inside of the top 10 in all six categories that I weighed. This week, I think Griffin kind of lands in that same answer as the Norins, the Alex Smalley's. You can say, you know, one side or the other of what the price tags are on them. But I think Griffin is good chalk and there's a legitimate reason why 
guys like him and Dietrich and Norin are always the highest climbers in my model on Bermuda courses. Uh, I think that makes sense. And I agree. I think that's a, that's definitely a savvy pick there. And we thank you, Sia, dropping some knowledge on us for first round leaders. We love Sia's first round leader plays. He is one of the hottest at picking them, dropping Whaley at 60 to one and Griffin at 35 to one. That's a wrap for tonight. Listen, my parting words are this is a fun course. If you get a chance to watch some of it, check it out. There's some really cool looking holes. There's a par three on the back. I think it's, it's either 15 or 16 uh, that's on like literally on a cliff on the water. Um, it's a really intimidating shot because you're like anything to the left is gone. Um, but it's a really cool hole. So you'll have some fun watching it. Hopefully we make some money. Show us those green scenes. Check back next week. And we celebrate the wins. Spence, did I forget anything? Sports. There you go.